Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, and welcome to this roundtable from stem cells to insulin-producing cells. How do we get there? Uh, I am Camillo Ricordi, I'm a professor of surgery and director of the Diabetes Research Institute and Cell Transplant Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, and I'm uh, pleased and honored to have uh, Dr. Melena Berlin from the University of Minnesota, professor and now master and commander of the field of islet transplantation since I discovered I used to be ranked number one worldwide between 2008 and 2018. And then I checked this expert scale and said, oh my God, there is this Melena Berlin number one. And I slide to the number five in the top five position, still pretty good. But congratulations, Melena, for your achievement. Is a truly remarkable leader and pioneer in the field of pilot transplantation. And now moving towards stem cell, that is the topic of this uh, round table. What do you think are the current strategies and mechanisms, and how do you see the field evolving, Melina? Yeah, well, well, thank you, Dr. Ricordi, for having me. Um, So as you know, we've both been long involved in the field of islet transplantation for type 1 diabetes, and and we know we can uh, take a patient who has longstanding type 1 diabetes, usually with complications like severe hypoglycemic episodes, and give them um, human islets uh, from another person, a deceased donor, and, and very successfully restore stable blood glucose control. The cells do much better than any technology we have at uh, providing for stable blood glucose control. Uh, and in, in many cases, especially if you have the participant or the patient under the right immunosuppression regimen, you can actually get them off insulin. And of course, our, our uh, one of our big hurdles there is that we um, only have so many deceased donors who can actually provide islets to treat the, the many, many patients who have diabetes, type 1 diabetes, but hopefully eventually other forms of diabetes might be amenable to cell therapy. And um, and this is where the the question of, of how do we get another cell source and how do we treat enough people comes into play. And I think what's really exciting right now is is that there are a couple companies, a couple trials that are underway in the in the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere that are using islet cells that instead of coming from a deceased donor, actually come from a, a stem cell line. Uh, and what's nice about these stem cell lines is they can be maintained in in perpetuity, so you can really create as many cells as you need uh, to provide therapy to everyone. I think, you know, five, 10 years ago, there was some skepticism, you know, could these these stem cell derived islets work like uh, native islets? Could they make enough insulin? And, and I think that's what's been really exciting recently with a couple of these trials as we've seen indeed that these these cells that are, are manufactured cells instead of deceased donor cells can work uh, like typical islets. And, and I think we really now are on the horizon of having the potential to to get that supply to treat everyone. And I think there have been also uh, very major advances in different direction because it's not only from embryonic stem cell derived islets, but also from uh, IPS, inducible pluripotent stem cell uh, generating islets from different sources or taking intermediate tissues like islets or pancreas. And uh, also from uh, 
hepatic stem cells, European groups have been concentrating also deriving insulin-producing cells from, from adult stem cells that can be found uh, in the liver. So I think that is still the, uh, we still have to determine and define which one will be the best source okay. of uh, insulin-producing cells, but I'm glad that at least uh, we are moving to clinical trials and pilot clinical trials, so we'll learn a lot in the next few months or years. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the challenge we have still is the immunosuppression aspect, right, which is not necessarily alleviated by these current cell lines that are that are in trial, but something like induced pluripotent stem cells where you might have more personalized maybe medicine approaches of deriving cells for specific patients or uh, genetic editing of, of these manufactured cells really offer some promise, I think, to to address that barrier a little bit better. Yeah, and I believe also uh, the recent approaches like the recent uh, science advances paper on a fast ligand microgel on how you could possibly induce local tolerance and increasing regulatory T cells at the transplant site are very hopeful for clinical translation. And I think uh, it is indeed, as you said, is a quantum leap we have to reach because if you still need lifelong immunosuppression, you may not need an unlimited source of insulin-producing cells because then the organ donation pool may be sufficient with the limitation imposed by lifelong immunosuppression. But you really are two parallel tracks that will be critically important to, to the next quantum leap in biologic replacement. On one side, you have to develop unlimited source of insulin-producing cells, and on the other, be able to transplant them without uh, chronic recipient immunosuppression. How do you think the success has been so far in the initial therapeutic approaches? Well, I think the the place where we're we're a little bit uh, we have a longer ways to go is certainly in the in the immunosuppression area. I, I don't think we yet have a approach that is uh, robustly successful in in, in people. Uh, you know, there's. Uh, the I think most conventional approach that has been tried is the encapsulation approaches, and I I think well maybe they can get somewhere um, that is okay. I, I'm not convinced that you're going to get optimal cell survival or uh, diffusion of, of glucose uh, and insulin across that capsule barrier for those to function as ultimately we might like them to, and and I think that's. You know, that's where these other approaches with genetic editing or or local immunosuppression, as you mentioned, with more of a bioscaffold approach, because, of course, you you could give immunosuppression that is um, much safer (laughs) than what we give patients right now, which is a systemic immunosuppression, if you're able to just regulate the local environment instead of uh, suppress the the entire immune system. So so I I think I think that uh, area has a long ways to go, but I think it's it's really, you know, um, there's some innovative uh, potential on the horizon. I think I think there's actually the potential to get there. Yeah, definitely, and, and I think is is so important because using immunosuppression may also affect long-term survival of the transplanted insulin-producing cells because right. they often impose immunosuppression of much higher metabolic demand on the transplanted islets, whether they're organ donor derived or stem cell derived, and this can trigger problems then for long-term functional integrity and for exhaustion of the transplant besides the problem of rejection and autoimmune recurrence. Yeah. The tolerance induction, whether it's a 
biologic approach is scaffold or encapsulation that unfortunately so far immunoisolation barrier have not been successful, but uh, there are more and more uh, design and technologies also in this field that may be tested clinically very soon. I'm encouraged by the fact that we we have indeed obtained uh, insulin independence with a stem cell derived islet transplant, even with immunosuppression, because Often at the beginning, you want to see, do the stem cell work with the immunosuppression, the same that we use in islet transplantation, or uh, and then move to non-immunosuppression approaches, because if they don't work, then you don't know, is it because of the wrong immunosuppression, or is it because uh, the cells were not working? So I think it will be critically important what we do in the next uh, several months, years to come. So Melina, what do you think will be the best? Do you think will uh, uh, do you think will immunoisolation macro devices uh, win or tolerance induction and biologic locker? Well, I, I guess it remains to be seen. I'm 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 optimistic of the potential for genetic editing combined with some other strategy. Um, I, I really think it's maybe more on the local immunosuppression or tolerance side as opposed to a full encapsulation approach, just based on the data to date. But I I, I think that addition of, of being able to genetically manipulate the cells uh, combined with some other immunoregulatory approach may have uh, great promise. And, and you know, and I would also argue you don't necessarily need to get rid of all immunosuppression, right? I mean, there are many people who are not transplant patients, right, but have other conditions where maybe they get intermittent or very low dose single medication, you know, suppression and, and do actually quite well. So um, so it may not be getting rid of everything, but uh, but I think uh, we can make a lot of progress from where we're at with full immunosuppression. Well, definitely. And the combination also of uh, like decreasing the immunogenicity uh, and of the transplant with some kind of tolerance induction, they may actually be synergistic because it uh, will be much easier to induce a long-term stable, at least operational tolerance. That's right. That's right. And we always have to remember in type 1 diabetes specifically, we not we are overcoming two barriers. It's, it's both the alloimmune, the sort of donor islet barrier, but also the autoimmune barrier. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Melena Bellin, and uh, all of you for attending, and uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you, Dr. Ricordi. Thank you to the audience. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.